This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Paul Sokolis with special guest, Bonneville Salt Flats racer, Michael Callahan. Here we go. It is time, indeed, for another On All Cylinders Podcast. Paul Sokolis here, uh, your host for today. Whether you're into classic muscle cars or cool engine and, and race tech, or just want to hear about a guy in a car going really, really, really fast, uh, this is going to be a good episode to hear. Joining me is a gentleman I met just at a local car show, and he has a fascinating story to tell. Michael Callahan, thank you uh, for taking some time out of your busy day to uh, talk to us. You know, I get to talk about Bonneville and my car. Don't get much better than that. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to start then. Uh, so why don't you tell us about your ride? Uh, the car I own is a 1969 Cyclone, Mercury Cyclone Spoiler 2, uh, which is a NASCAR version. Uh, it's very similar to a Torino Talladega, uh, even though it has different sheet metal up front. But it does have the extended front end and a modified rear bumper in the front. And uh, it's got the rolled rockers on the side. So it's definitely the NASCAR version the one they had to make so NASCAR would approve it so they could race it on the track. It's very similar to the one you'd see like Cale Yarborough Drive, number 21 Cale Yarborough on that Mercury. Now, if you're hearing this and you want to go check this car out for yourself, just uh, go to onallcylinders.com, type in Cyclone into the search bar, and the feature article we wrote on Michael's car should pop up in, in one of the top results. But getting back to the Cyclone, it, it's a rare version of an already rare car Yet, you've done some key performance modifications with a specific goal in mind, correct? Definitely. Originally, all the Mercuries were made with a 351 Windsor automatic shift on a column, bench seat. They were all the same, and they only built them to get NASCAR to approve them. When I purchased my car about seven years ago, it had a 1970 351 Cleveland uh, four-barrel engine in it and a four-speed top-loader transmission. It was that way when I got it. And it's also all the uh, Mercury Cyclone spoilers came in two color variations, red and white on the bottom for Cal Yarborough and blue and white on the bottom for Dan Gurney. So they were one way or the other. That's the only difference between all the cars was the color scheme. Now, mine is a Dan Gurney edition, uh, but it's been repainted black. Uh, about 35 years ago, uh, the car was painted and the engine and trans swapped by a California hot rodder named Lou, which has recently passed away. He's a friend of mine, was a friend of mine. And he told the story one day he drove over to Dan Gurney's house and uh, he had him sign the spare tar cover in the trunk. And of course, it's still with the car. And now I say every time I drive the car or race the car, there's a little bit of Dan and a lot of Lou going with me. Not only is that a really wonderful sentiment, that's just an amazing history of that particular car. Now, did you go out looking for a Mercury Cyclone spoiler too, or did the car kind of find you? Well, I was kind of between hot rods, and I was looking for a car that I could take to Bonneville. And I seen this car on eBay, and it had, you know, pretty much the bones I needed. Uh, you know, I had a good Cleveland four-barrel, so it would run good on the big end. It had a 275 Detroit locker in it, and it was a... You know, for 1969, it was an aerodynamic car. So um, I made a deal with the owner, and I ended up flying out to California and driving the car back to Cincinnati. Made it back. That was the big news there. Spent, you know, two and a half days in the car, and uh, I made a lot of notes. So I had a lot of work to do to it when I got home to, you know, to do some upgrades and make it my car. 
So astute listeners might have heard the B word uh, back there, Michael, um, Bonneville. And we've been kind of tap dancing around the topic a little bit already, but uh, you've taken this car to Bonneville before and you plan to take it back. And what's even more fascinating is that you're keeping it all a a pretty comfortable street legal car in the process. So let's talk about that. Well, it's yeah, there's a story behind it. But yeah, basically uh, what I decided to do a couple years ago was to try and run 200 miles an hour on the Bonneville salt flats with my 69 Mercury. And it is a, you know, street legal street cars. It's, it's not a race car. The story I got to that point, well, that's, that's a story. <laughs> well, I couldn't help but notice that uh, we both have microphones in front of us. You want to share that story? Because uh, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Sure, sure. I've been out to Bonneville seven times in the last 11 years. Raced there uh, five different times. The first two years I went out in a different car than this Mercury. It's before I had the Mercury. I was fairly successful, and then I sold that car, and then I found the Mercury, and that's I knew that car would uh, would be the one that I was going to try and go really go pretty fast out of Bonneville. In 2011, I went out with the other car. It went 130. Next year, I went out and went 144, and then I sold that car. Then I bought the Mercury, and I I had I had about six months to uh, get it ready for Bonneville. I needed some safety equipment on it. I went out to run the uh, the 150 class. It's a called a club, a 150 club, and it's designed for street cars uh, with a little bit of safety equipment. And if you run 150 two times within two and a quarter miles, then you're in the 150 club. So I decided I'm going to drive my car out there and, and try and do that with this Mercury. So um, got it ready. I had to put a uh, one-loop roll bar in it and a five-point belt and a dry shaft loop and metal valve stems. Not much more than that. It's, it's truly for street cars. You have to show them your registration and your insurance cards. That's for real street cars. So uh, I decided before I went out there, because it was a fairly new car to me then, I only had it you know, a couple months, I decided to put it on a chassis dyno just to see what it would do, kind of do a Bonneville run sitting still. And uh, it's a good thing I did because <laughs> – when we ran up on the dyno, it would only run like 132 miles an hour. You know, that's sitting still. That's not going through the wind. <laughs> it would only turn 5,000 RPM. So uh, it's a good thing I tested it before I went. So we put a new set of valve springs on it, make us rev up to about 5,800. And then I needed bigger diameter wheels in the back, TARS. So I had to go to 16-inch wheels. So I got out the old Summit catalog, picked out some black steel Krager wheels. And then I ended up, you know, with 27-inch diameter TARS. And I had like 24, 24 and a half on it. Those uh, made quite a bit of difference. I took off for Bonneville. I drove out there by myself. Of course, when I got on the other side of the, when I got into Illinois, the car started dying on me. I fought that all the way out there. Some kind of heat, vapor, fuel lock thing. And I just kept trying to fix it as I drove out there. And I never did get to the bottom of it <clears throat> on that trip. But uh, the only way around it was every time I stopped, I opened the hood on the car, let the heat out, and I made it there and back. And then I came up with a fix for it later. I made it out there and uh, ended up going 154 miles an hour. So I got in a 150 club. And that was in 2016. And the best part is I made it home. <laughs> 2017, I was on a Hot Rod Par tour. And the car was featured in November 2017 Hot Rod Magazine, which was pretty cool. I've been reading Hot Rod Magazines my whole life. I don't take that lightly. Drove the car out there and, and, you know, went 154. Then I decided 
I was going to go back out in 2018 and see if I could go any faster. I kept the same engine, transmission, and everything. But I did uh, do some aero upgrades. I When I went out there, I took the wipers off, the mirrors off. I put a small belly pan on it underneath the car to help keep the air from going up underneath the uh, hood. And I also ran front drag tars when I got out there. And I also ran uh, open exhaust. And I decided uh, I would run about a half a tank of race gas. They sell race gas out there. I had over half a tank. So I pulled up to the, the fuel truck and he said, yeah, go ahead, put it in yourself. So I pumped it in. So I get the fuel tank topped off. I went in and I said, hey, what do I owe you? And he says, 150 bucks. And I've never bought race gas before. So I'm thinking, whoa, uh, it's one of those things where it's a good thing I didn't ask because I might have not did it. But uh, you do need to run race gas out there because you, you don't want to detonate when you're running a lot of miles wide open. You won't even hear it. I was able to uh, get some good. I ran uh, 165 uh, the first time. Now, when you're running the 150 club, you're only allowed to go 159 miles an hour. They're very uh, clear in the rules. If you exceed 159, uh, you are done and it's over. So uh, I'm pretty well a rule follower, but, uh, you know, I was making a full blast. I knew I went 165 because I have a GPS that I monitor the speed with. So I was feeling really good, really happy that I went 165. So I came around, I was, you pull around, you get the time slip, and I'm, I'm ready for some uh, hand slapping or something going on. And so I didn't say nothing, handed me the slip, and the guy just says, man, that car really sounded good going down through there. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> uh, so I drove up, got back in line, and there's a line there for the 150 club. And everybody said, what'd you do? And I said, man, I went 165. And they all said, did they say anything to you? Did you get in trouble? And I said, no, I don't know. So I went and ran again and ran like a 164. And then I was done because when you drive your car out there, you know, you don't want to break. The, I don't want to make another pass and break the car. It's a long walk home from out there. And then a couple months later on their website, they actually put up everybody that made it in the 150 club and the 130 club and, and all that. And I got looking, they didn't mention me in the 150 club. And then I found out later when I looked closer at my time slip, they had mistakenly put me down as a, like a regular race car, or a car running a class. So there was no speed limit on me that day. So it worked out, but I always get with the 150 guys that uh, I did set the record in the 150 class at 165. The funny part of the story is I get back and then, <clears throat> Two weeks later, I drive the car from Cincinnati up to Dayton. They have a, a big cars and coffee once a month. And, it's, you know, it's huge. They run 800 to 1,000 cars there. Biggest one in this area for sure. So I'm there and people are coming up. And I always have a, you know, I have a picture of my car sitting on the salt flats. So they know the car's been there and I've raced it. And I hate to hear this question because it's not good for me. This one guy, after hearing my story, he says, well, what's next? And I'm thinking, to myself, I said, what's next? Are you kidding me, man? I just, two weeks ago, was sitting out there on the salt flats running 165. I drove it out there, drove it back. Hey, man, let me have a little bit of time to bask in my glory. But no, he had to ask that question, what next? And that puts that in my head. So I started thinking, you know, what is next for me with this car? I'm not the kind of person that would go back out there and keep running a 150 club and running the same speeds. Once I do something, I'm ready to move on. That's when I started to get the idea that I wonder if I can go 200 on assault with this car. You know, can I do it? Can I do it with my resources and with my skills? You know, I'm setting the bar very high. I always kid and say, uh, if I want to do something easy, 
I'd climb Mount Everest because there's a lot more people that have climbed Mount Everest than been able to go over 200 at Bonneville Salt Flats. But uh, it's a big commitment. The, it was like a two-part story for me. The first part was because my car is a real street car, I had to modify it and put a lot of safety stuff on it. I couldn't go any first, faster at Bonneville without upgrading a lot of safety on my car. So that was a commitment. I decided to, to go ahead with it. It, t- it took me almost two years to get the car to where it would pass spec at Bonneville. It was a, it was a journey. Some of the things I needed to do was uh, I had to put in a full roll cage, uh, which was challenging because I decided on my car that, you know, I didn't want anybody to ever say, oh, this ain't a real street car because everybody's got a different definition of street car. I mean, you can put license plates on a pro mod. Some people say that's a street car. Not to me. I wanted uh, a full back seat. I have a headliner in my car. I have carpet installation. I have a factory dash. I have a factory, you know, parking brake and air vents and a radio. You know, I like to think, even though it's got a lot of safety stuff in there, that it is a real street car. So it was a challenge to put the cage in with all those restrictions. You know, it's a little bit more difficult to get in and out of the car. Uh, I had to have a removable steering wheel to get in and out of the car, which I do every time. Uh, but, you know, a removable steering wheel, uh, it's a good theft deterrent, too. Whenever I travel in the cars at a motel, I always take the steering wheel in with me. So I needed a full roll cage, and then I needed to uh, get a real racing seat with a halo on it, uh, you know, aluminum. It's a nice, really nice one. I found a one that's Bonneville approved. It has to have special SFI 45, you know, uh, foam on the sides by your helmet. But I, when I purchased the seat, I had it custom made where the halo bolts on and off because with a halo on, you cannot drive it on the street because you don't have your peripheral vision. So obviously, I unbolt mine for street use. I can bolt it on when I race. I need a full door net, uh, which you know has to be custom made to fit the cage. Uh, a full, you know, far suppression system had to be put in, which I did. You have to have safety film on both sides of your glass. And uh, the big thing I had was because my car, 69 Mercury Cyclone, does not have a frame around the window. So that glass in the doors cannot be glass. It needs to be polycarbonate or Lexan plastic, whatever you want to call it. So uh, I decided the way around that was, and there's no way I'm going to have a fixed window because you can't drive a car, that car down the street without the windows down because <laughs> you don't have any air conditioning, obviously. So I took the glass out. I took it up to a place in Indianapolis, and they uh, they copied the, the curvature and the size and polycarbonate. And uh, then I brought it home, and I bolted it on some tracks in the inside the door. And now my window rolls up and down like a regular window, only it's polycarbonate. And then I had to come up with a brace because the window has to be braced or else it'll blow in or out. Made a real nice brace that bolts on the inside of the door, kind of frames around the window. The window can roll up into this frame. Uh, It works really well. So everything I was doing had to be, you know, to the rule book, but it also had had to be configured in a way I could get in it and drive it whenever I wanted to on the street because I never wanted to lose the street ability. Last thing I wanted to do is have a car and go out there and run fast at Bonneville and then sit in the garage for the next 12 months and couldn't drive it. I want the drivability part of it. So over the course of uh, a year, slowly put uh, everything together. And then in 2020, which was COVID year, there was nothing going on in the automotive world. I mean, everything got canceled except one thing. Speed Week at Bonneville. Everything else was canceled. 
So I decided, okay, uh, I haven't really did anything this year with the car. I said, I'm going to get in that old Mercury and I'm going to drive it. Again, that'll be the third time I've driven it out to Bonneville. I'm not going to race it because even though I had to cage in the seat and I didn't have it ready. So I decided I'm just going to go out there and check out Speed Week. They run three times at Bonneville. First week in August at Speed Week. That's a big one. The most cars, the most spectators. And then the second one is the first week in September. And that's called World of Speed. And that's the one I usually run at. It doesn't have hardly any spectators. It has about half as many cars as Speed Week. But it's a lot more laid back. And you can actually get in more runs there. And uh, the good thing about World of Speed is that's where they have the 130 Club and the 150 Club that I had participated in over the years, you know, where you can really, where you can take a real street car and you get to race it down to Bonneville Salt Flats. And that's how I got started. That's how I got what they call Salt Fever. That's a nice one. And then the third time they race is the end of September, the first October called the World Finals. Again, it's a small meet just for race cars. So anyway, I decided... I've never been to Speed Week. I need to at least go check it out because I do plan on running there someday. So I drove the Mercury out there. And uh, even though I didn't race, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of people there because of COVID. You know, your racers from Canada couldn't even get down or from you know other countries that usually come. They couldn't even get in the country at that point. I went out there and uh, I met a fellow named Tony Thacker. This guy's a real California hot rodder. He's been around. He set records at Bonneville, so it was good to meet him. Uh, I met Evan Perkins out there. He was the uh, editor of Hot Rod Magazine, and he, he at that time worked at Holly. So I mentioned to him that, you know, I'm going to need a bigger carburetor for my plans in the future. So that was good. And then I remember these guys coming over to me and looking at my car. He said, hey, when you get a minute, will you bring your car over to the Speed Demon? George wants to look at your car, George Petit. I know who George Petit is. Everybody does. You know, besides being a very successful and very fast racer at Bonneville, you know, he's a he's a Ford guy. He's got a lot of big collection of Fords and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. I drove a car over there and met George, and we talked about my car, and it was worth it. It was a good it was a good road trip, as they say. The next time I decided I was, I was going to go back out next year, and that was 2020, 2021. Now it's 2021. I'm going to go back out to Bonneville. I decided that 21, I was going to run again at the World of Speed. The only changes I made to my car, I, I went from a dual plane to a single plane intake, and I put a bigger Holley carburetor on it. And the other big difference was uh, Trevor set me up with a new TKX five-speed. So this will be the first time that I'll be running on Bonneville Salt Flats with, with overdrive. So my plan was, even though it was the same engine and same basically the same car, I didn't really have any more power. I thought the intake car would give me a little bit more power on the big end. But the plan was to go out there, get on the long course, which is five miles. There's two courses at Bonneville. There's a short course, three miles. Long course is five miles. So I started off at the three-mile course, and uh, I got my C&D license. And then they let me run on the, on the long course because there wasn't a lot of people out there. And you're supposed to run 175 on a small course before they let you over there. But uh, they let me run the long course. So I figured, okay, that's what I need. I need to get a long course, run it out for five miles, use fifth gear, and really see what's in this car. Well, the problem was the I just didn't have enough power to pull the fifth gear. The car didn't really go any faster in fourth than fifth and fifth or fourth. It just topped out at 170. So I ran 170 for about five miles, which is pretty cool, but it just wouldn't go any faster. And it was at that point where I said, okay, I need more power. 
the car did make it through tech there. So that was good. It made it through tech at World of Speed as a, as a real race car. So that was promising. And then on the way home, I come up with a plan. I needed more power. So I decided I was going to take the basically stock 351 Cleveland that's in there now. And I was going to build a big Cleveland. So as soon as I got home, I found a four bolt Cleveland block, standard bore. I bought the block and then put all the good stuff in it. And it's a 408 cubic inch Cleveland that's in it right now with trick flow heads, I may add. That's the motor that's in it now. Now I've got close to twice the horsepower. Other than that, the car's identical. So theoretically, it should go faster because I didn't make any other changes. Because the car feels at speed, that car feels really, really good. It wants more. It's ready to go faster. The aero is really good on that car. I got it sitting as low as I can and still drive it on the street. Plus, when I race it, I put on some front runners at a little bit lower diameter. So car's good. It, it's ready to go for more. I just needed more power. So we went out to uh, Speed Week. I figured, okay, now I'm ready to run Speed Week. So went out to Speed Week this year, and uh, it was really nice out there. For the first two days, I did make it through tech at Speed Week, and that was big for me, making it through tech, because that was a lot of my effort. And then, uh, you know, we got rained out. We didn't get any racing in. But the cool thing was, because mine's a street legal car, I was able to drive it uptown. I drove it through. There's a big car show there. I was one of the only cars that actually raced that could race on Bonneville that went up to the show. So that was pretty cool. And my car didn't sit out there in Bonneville flood we had this year. Luckily, mine was sitting in town. That worked out well, but uh, the question's still there. But last year's washout doesn't seem to have dampened your resolve at all. I mean, you're, you're still planning to head back this year, correct? Oh, yeah. It's pretty big this year because it's, this will be the 75th anniversary of Speed Week. Now, they've been running out there for 100 years, but uh, this is the 75th one. So I'm hoping for good things. I, I think it'll run a good number out there, but you just don't know. You can do all the math you want. You do all the planning you want, but you don't know till you get there and put the pedal to the metal. All right. You brought up an interesting point because and, and pardon me, because I'm not totally well versed in the world of, of land speed racing like this. But how do you figure out what it takes to hit 200 miles per hour? Do you put the number 200 on the right side of the equation and then work backwards across your requisite driveline weight and horsepower math to hopefully reach that number when it's time to hit the salt? I mean, how does all that work? Here's the thing I learned from Bonneville. And, you know, I'm not the best, fastest racer out there, but there's something I've learned. There's three things to go fast at Bonneville. Now, horsepower. And I said, well, that's pretty obvious. Well, it is, but you got to have the horsepower in the right spot. Uh, because the salt is very slick. People don't realize one of the biggest challenges of running fast at Bonneville is traction. When you see cars out there that are running 250, 300 miles an hour and up, they're heavy. They're, they've got ballast in those cars, 500,000 pounds of ballast. They got a lot of weight in those cars for traction, but the weight has to be in the right spot. Okay. You can't, you know, it has to be balanced weight. You got to know where to put the weight. So horsepower is number one, but you need to really need it on the big end and not on the low end. Number two is aerodynamics. Well, that's pretty obvious. Well, you know, aero makes a big difference. There's no doubt. You know, once you get over 130, you know, aero just comes in super strong. When you start running up, like me trying to get from 170 to 200, yeah, that's 30 miles an hour. But man, that's a tough 30 miles an hour. It's going to really be pushing a lot of air. You know, the question is, do I have enough horsepower to push through that air? You know, I will answer that this year, I hope. The other thing people don't realize on aerodynamics is, you know, a 737 jet takes off at about 150 miles an hour. Think about it. So, you know, if you, if you got some bad aero out there, 
you either can fly or you'll be spinning out. Well, you know, you see people doing spinning out out there, and that's what's going on. It's bad aerodynamics. And the other thing people don't realize is uh, like parachutes. Like, I'm required to have a parachute. Well, why would I need a parachute? Because I got a shutdown area of about a mile, <laughs> at least. I don't need a parachute to stop. But where the parachute would come in good is if you're running down there in your car, the back end starts to come around on you, you know, at a high speed. You can pull the chute and, you know, maybe save yourself from spinning or worse. Now, spinning out is okay if you're spinning. But if you start spinning and you cut a tar or a tar digs in, that, that gets really bad. So a lot of people spin, say, oh, yeah, it's not, you know, it's okay. It really don't hurt anything. But or if you get a tar digs in or something weird happens, you know, you start to barrel roll at a high speed. Now, that's pretty obvious. And the third thing is, is gearing. And when I say gearing, I just don't mean rear axle gear. That's important. The, rear, the diameter of your rear tars are very important. And the gearing in your transmission is very important. My opinion, if you have the horsepower arrow and you're gearing good, you can be successful out there in my experience. Pretty sure you mentioned it earlier in this interview, but uh, refresh my memory. What's uh, What rear end gearing are you running? I run a 275 Detroit locker, but 275 is a gear and it works well because I drive it on the street. I don't switch it out and I can run it out there. I do have a 250 pumpkin. That's for plan B, not this year. And again, there's a lot of, there's a lot of math to it too, because guys like me, we didn't pay a lot of attention in school. There's a lot of math to, to all this too. So you didn't change your uh, gearing out back, even going from the four-speed to the five-speed now? No, I don't think I need to. Here's one problem. With a 275 gear, like I got, and 27-inch diameter tars, when you come to a stop sign, a red light, and you take off, I'm right on the verge of having to slip the clutch. It's, it's, you know, it's okay, and it's great to run down the interstate with it, but I don't think I can run a lower gear with that tar anyway on the street without slipping the clutch. Okay, that makes me kind of want to reinforce a point you had made earlier. Yes, this is a street legal car, but there, there's really no need for air quotes because you drive this thing a lot uh, around town, which, which is amazing, especially when you consider that in the context of your quest to hit 200 on the salt. But it does make me want to kind of ask the question uh, again in maybe a, a roundabout way. How are the Mercury's street manners on, on regular roads? It's okay. It's like any, you know, my car is old school. You know what I mean? It's, it's got stock suspension. It's got the original wiring harness in it. It's carbureted. The only thing that's high tech on my car is aluminum radiator and, and electric fans for obvious reasons. So it's like any old car. You know, it don't like traffic. You don't like sitting in traffic on a hot day. But uh, yeah, I drive it. Uh, I've been, uh, you know, a lot of places in this car uh, since I bought it. I've been down to the uh, Aero Reunion twice, and that's down in Talladega, Alabama. They do that every five years. They bring down all the Aero cars, and that's the, including the wing cars, of course, and the Talladegas and the Mercury's. I've been down there a couple of times. I've, uh, I was invited. I've been up to the Muscle Car and Corvette Nationals in Chicago two different times. And when I'm invited up there, I guarantee you, if you've ever been to that show, that's the best of the best of the best of the muscle cars. I mean, it's it's unbelievable quality. I'm the only guy that drives his car up there. <laughs> I drive up there and drive in and drive home. It's nice. I go on a hot rod park tour every year with the car. I like that. And also do the Woodward Dream Cruise every year, too. It's been driven all over all over the country. And like I said, I've driven three times to, to Bonneville. And that's a heck of a trip. I put more miles on my car in one day than a lot of people do a, a whole year in some of their classic cars. So. So let's take a closer look under the hood. Uh, you said you're running a 408 Cleveland? 
Yeah, right now it's a, uh, I call it a, you know, a very well-built, good parts uh, street car, kind of a high-end street engine, I should say. It's not an all-out race engine because, you know, I knew I was going to be driving, you know, 95% of the time I'm driving it around. And then I race it once a year at Bonneville. Again, it's a trade-off. Like, you know, I run a, a dual plane intake. I run a mechanical fuel pump. Uh, my cam, I didn't run a high lift cam because I got, Cleveland has cannon valves, you know, like a big block Chevy. So you go with a real high lift cam and, you know, it really puts a lot of wear on the valve guys and angle and stuff. So I tried to keep it realistic. I mean, it's, you know, it's a nice built motor. It's got good parts in it, but it's far from a, you know, all out race motor. All right. So we, we've talked about the engine a little bit, certainly the drive line and the gearing. You went into detail about uh, some of the safety upgrades you had to, to get past Bonneville Tech. But what about the rest of the car? I'm talking chassis, suspension, brakes, stuff like that. Is that mostly off the shelf stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'm running. I got disc. I got four wheel manual disc brakes, but they're not aftermarket. <laughs> you know, they're the little 11 inch jobs. I got manual steering, manual clutch linkage. You know, my car is definitely old school. And now, in looking at the car, um, it, it hasn't been tubbed either. Um, can you talk a little bit about tire sizing and, and what you did to, to select the right tire for running at Bonneville? The tars I run on the street and the rear are the same ones I race at Bonneville with. You know, I, I could probably fit a bigger tar underneath, but I didn't want, it just didn't interest me to push the, you just don't run wide tars at Bonneville. That's, it's, it's the, it's the weirdest, one of the weirdest things people don't, is weird to people that go to Bonneville is you race in high horsepower cars on a very slick surface and they run like front drag tars on all four corners. That's the norm out there. It's kind of crazy, but. That's the tar choice out there. You ever see a Bonneville tar? 90, 99% of the cars run out there running like drag tars front and rear. You don't run wide tars at Bonneville. It doesn't work. One of the questions that, that I'm wondering, and I'm sure quite a few folks out there hearing this are wondering as well, um, when you take this Mercury to Bonneville, are many other folks running a street legal 60s to 70s era muscle car on the salt? Well, mine cyclones alone because, you know, when you look inside my car out there, it's got a full interior. Now, there's a Talladega that races out there, and there's a, uh, you know, Daytona that runs out there. It's a record holder. But, yeah, there's door cars out there racing, but but they're real race cars because of the class. Bonneville has a lot, a lot of classes, the streamliners, and then they have the roadsters out there. And then they have, you know, door cars. You know, they're all, you know, real race cars and they're, they're out there running for a record. I'm not. I would be a fool to think my car could go set a record and the record is too far off. So when I go out, I run time only because I'm just trying to be, you know, realistic. I mean, because, you know, the record is just a long way off from even thinking about that. Now, is, is your Mercury exclusively set up for Bonneville or do you try to attend other speed record events like, uh, for instance, there used to be the one in Wilmington, Ohio, which is really right up the street from where we're having this interview. And then there's uh, the ECTA Arkansas Mile. Do you, do you ever attend uh, any other uh, land speed events? No. I mean, <clears throat> I had another car I raced at uh, Wilmington a couple times when they were up there, which is a really, really nice. Uh, but no, I haven't been to, uh, you know, down to Arkansas. You know, those are usually mile races. My car is not set up for a mile. To me, a mile is like a long drag strip. Cars that are running there, you know, they're achieving those 200 mile an hour, you know, within a mile, which is great. You know, that's acceleration, major acceleration. Uh, my car is set up to run three to five miles, just the way it's geared and all. And I don't, I don't need to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm going to Bonneville. 
the best historic place in the world. You know, I'm, I'm so lucky. I get to run a Bonneville. There's just nothing above Bonneville. Bonneville is it. To that end, I kind of ask this question a lot, um, whether I'm talking to an AMC person or a Studebaker person, is, is what's the community like? So say someone wants to get in um, into this world and, and start doing what you're doing. How does it begin? How does one catch uh, salt fever, if you will? Well, anybody that, that want, that's interested in Bonneville usually happens probably this way all the time. You don't just build a car and go to Bonneville. First, you go out and kind of check it out and see if it's for you because it's unique type of racing. It's in a unique spot. The environment's unique. And then you say, oh, yeah, I might want to try this. And then you start figuring out. You look around at everybody else's cars and what they're doing. You kind of figure out you know, what direction you want to go to. You want a you know, roadster or a muscle car. And you look at what's there. And then you get the rule book. You know, the rule book's pretty thick, but it's all there. So, you know, it's it's a big commitment to build a Bonneville car because it's basically you're only going to run it at Bonneville. That's, you know, it's a pretty unique car. They're made for Bonneville. And, you know, the information's out there. You just have to go there to get the information, I guess, is the best way of figuring it out. But if I remember correctly, uh, Bonneville, for you, didn't start with this Mercury. You had attended prior years in a different car? Yes. First two times I went, I had a Crown Vic. Now, it's a 1999 Crown Vic. Well, that sounds pretty lame, but actually what I have, what I had was a car called Cobra Vic. Now, the Ford guys might have heard of this. Jack Roush built 18 Cobra Vics in 1999, and they all went to the Bondurant School of High Performance Driving. Now, he took a stock P71 police cruiser, black Crown Vic. He pulled out the two-valve motor and the automatic transmission. And he took the four-valve engine and five-speed manual out of the 1999 Cobra Mustang, and he put it in there. He put a full roll cage in these Crown Vicks. He even has a, a window net at all four. Far system was in there, big fuel cell. And each instructor had their own Crown Vic. And they would put three students in and belt them in. And he'd go around the track and kind of give them a demo ride. And then after the demo ride, the students would take the Mustangs out and drive the Mustangs. So the students never drove the Crown Vic. Only instructors drove the Vicks. So he did that for a while. And then, uh, you know, Bonnert went from Ford to GM. So when he went to GM, guess what? GM don't want no Ford sitting around. So they sold all the Crown Vicks off. Employees bought about half of them. And then some local Arizona dealer bought, bought the rest of them. So they came up popping up for sale. And I looked, I seen that and I said, wow, that's a cool car. So I went and bought a, a Cobra Vic. And uh, it was a neat car. It was a big car. I mean, I, I autocrossed that car. Uh, I did the Ultima Challenge in that car. But it was so big. I mean, it handled like a big go-kart. They had this two-inch spline sway bars on it, and it was flat. It's just the car was so big and wide, you know, it was a real disadvantage in an autocross course. So anyway, that's the car I took out there. When I first retired, I decided, well, what can I do car-wise now that I might have some time? I'll tell you what, Bonneville. Never been there, but I've always seen pictures in, you know, Hot Rod Magazine, the car sitting on the salt flats. I always thought that was cool. So I started looking into it, and I'm thinking, well, I'll go check it out. And then I got looking, you know, in September at the World of Speed. Well, I can take a streetcar out, my car out, and I can race it on the salt flats. I said, there you go. That's me. So I remember getting in the car and, you know, I didn't never been out there. I got in the car and I was, I would just got in the state of Indiana, which is like 20 miles from my house. And I'm thinking, well, what am I doing? I'm driving all the way across the country to race. And I, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. But I went and did it. And uh, I ran the 130 Club, which is where you run for one mile. 
130 and like went 130.5 or something two times. So I got in a 130 club. I'm thinking, oh, I like this. I'm thinking, well, then I looked at it. I said, how's it 150 club? Well, the 150 clubs, I can run two and a quarter miles. And I'm thinking, well, if I can run 130 in one mile, I can surely run 150 in two and a quarter miles. So I went back out the next year and uh, faced up to the reality that uh, I really didn't know what I was talking about because the Crown Vic uh, only went 144. It topped out at 144, and that was it. I mean, that's when I learned a hard lesson, the horsepower and aerodynamics and gearing. I just didn't have it together. That was a long drive home because, to me, I was a failure. I couldn't get in a 150 club. Got home, and I, I just tried to think of, you know, make some changes to it, and then I had an opportunity to sell the car. So I ended up selling the Crown Vic, and then I, that's when I ended up getting a, getting a Mercury and then going back out with the Mercury. You kind of already touched on this, but just so I'm clear, and if, if you're out there listening and, and want to dip your toe in the proverbial waters of Bonneville, um, is your recommendation then just for folks to, to go out and attend one of the events? Go check it out or go out, you know, to the second running the world of speed and take your streetcar out and get the race, you know, run it on the salt. You know, watching is good. Racing is even better. I mean, that's where you got to start. No doubt about it. A couple of things on Bonneville. You know, everybody's heard of Bonneville, but very few people have been there. But I'm going to tell you what, I talked to a lot of people and almost everybody I talked to said, boy, that's on my bucket list. I want to do that someday. So there's a lot of people that want to do it, but, you know, it is a commitment. It's a long way to go. But I'm telling you, you know, that's a real hot rod out there. That's some real racing. There's real history out there. It's great. You know, people ask me questions. And one of the questions people ask me is like, you know, where is it exactly? Well, it is off of Interstate I-80, I mean, right off I-80, on the Utah-Nevada border. It's 100 miles west of Salt Lake City, and it's near a little town called Wendover. So then people say, well, where do you stay out there? Well, there's nothing between Wendover and Salt Lake City. I mean, absolutely nothing. There's 100 miles of nothing. But the town of Wendover is an interesting little town because part of it's in Utah and part of it's in Nevada. And there's even a, even a line just painted across the street that says Utah and Nevada. On Nevada side, they got about five big casinos and a lot of hotel rooms. So there's a lot of hotel rooms out there to stay at in this little town of Wendover. And also, there's a camp. You can camp right next to the salt, really near the salt flats. There's free camping all over, and a lot of people camp there. You know, some people are into camping, some people want a hotel room. So it gives you some options. The other interesting thing is the uh, the time zone changes right there at that line between Utah and Nevada. So if you're staying in Nevada and you're racing Bonneville Salt Flats, well, your phone might have kicked over an hour because that's where the mountain and Pacific changes. Time zone changes right there. That screwed a lot of people up. So and I, I kind of told you when it runs, they run three times a year. Uh, all the same rules, you know, the same rules and the same thing. You set records at all three the same. Now, I have to ask this, and I'm sure it's a question that you get often, but uh, what's it like? What's the salt like? What's it like racing on a surface that's not, you know, dirt, tarmac, or even sand? Well, I guess it's like being on the moon, but of course, I've never been on the moon. So that's what a lot of people say. It's, it's the one place uh, where you can actually see the curvature of the earth. There's just salt, salt, salt. Every, I mean, it's, it's actually table salt. There's 30,000 acres of table salt. Because you can pick that salt off your finger and taste it. It is salt. It's the same salt you put on a hamburger. There's nothing out there. There's no buildings. There's no uh, stands or anything. Anything you want, you got to bring with you. And then when you leave, you leave. It's a very interesting place. 
But what's it like to race on the salt, um, specifically at speeds in excess of 150 miles per hour? Well, I'd mentioned before the biggest challenge is probably the traction. And, of course, the conditions change all the time. You know, I've been out there when it's been dry and conditions have been good. I've been out there when it's been wet and conditions not so good. So year to year it changes, but it can change day to day. It can be good in the morning, not so good in the afternoon. So you're also fighting the environment out there when you race. And it's the one form of racing where weight is a good thing, but you got to have it in the right place, of course. In my opinion, as far as the racing on the salt flats, the best salt conditions would be similar to racing on wet blacktop, okay? So think of that. So when the conditions are the best they can be, I think it's very similar to racing on wet blacktop. You know, it's like running whatever, two, three, 400 miles an hour on wet blacktop with tars about four inches wide with no tread on it. So it's, it's, it's a challenging environment out there, especially when you see these little roadsters with 2,000 horsepower motors in them. You know, they're, they're a handful. You do the short wheelbase, you know, narrow wheelbase, they're, they're a handful. It's a lot easier to do it. That's one reason I picked my car, because the longer the wheelbase and wider the wheelbase, the more, you know, control you have over it in those slick conditions. Well, thank you so much for that insight. Whether you plan to go to Bonneville or not, that's just, it's just interesting to hear about stuff like that. And thank you, Michael, again, just for the time. I'm hearing both about your awesome Mercury Cyclone spoiler, too. But just Bonneville in general, land speed racing really is a topic that uh, I think a lot of gearheads would really find interesting. So good luck with your quest for 200 miles per hour. We will certainly be watching closely. Thank you again and enjoy that Mercury. Thank you very much. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.